are in the study of Genesis, we finished up with Abraham, the patriarch Abraham, and now we are looking at what I have called the forgotten patriarch. Remember in the in the Old Testament, beginning in Genesis, is the period of the patriarchs. The first of those patriarchs is Abraham, and we studied his life and all the things that happened in his life. And then we've come to his son, the son of promise, that son that was born to him when he was 100 years old, and his wife was 90, a miraculous son. And this son is now the second of the patriarchs. Abraham has about 13 chapters written about him. Jacob, who's the third patriarch, who's eventually going to be called Israel, and who's the father of the nation of Israel, he has about 12 or 13 chapters about him. But then right there between Abraham and Jacob is Isaac, and Isaac has about two chapters about him. And very little is known about Isaac. I probably relate to Isaac more than I do Abraham and Jacob. What about y'all? Okay, so there's very little written about him, but the things that are written about him are significant. And he had some outstanding qualities in his life. Remember, he, he was a man who was seeking the Lord through prayer. Whenever uh, difficult things happened, his wife couldn't have a baby. His father didn't do that. At least it's not recorded he did that. But Isaac went on behalf of his wife and prayed. And uh, prayed on behalf of that. And what happened? God heard, answered, and gave him a double blessing. Remember, he had twins. Esau and, and Jacob at that time. We, we've seen that he... Whenever uh, the famine came, where his father ran over to Egypt, God told him to stay in Gerar, in that place that was the promised place, and he stayed there, and he lived there in Gerar. And whenever he did, God spoke to him and affirmed the promises he had made to his father Abraham, those four basic promises. He affirmed that back to Isaac and said, these promises for you. Because why? We're not to live on, on somebody else's blessing. We're to live on the blessing God gives to us, and God speaks to our heart. And so... Those are wonderful qualities and characteristics. Now, today I want to share, I'm going to skip a little bit. We'll come back to it. I'm going to skip a little bit in order to get to something that, that I think is one of the most important qualities that Isaac has and something that we need to mimic and pray for in our own lives. There in chapter 26, when it says he settles in Gerar, we ended in verse 6. Verses 7 then through verse 11 is a story we will come back to. I told you he was like his father. You remember what his father did when he went to Egypt and before Abimelech? What did he do? He said, uh, this is not my wife, it's my sister. Because he's afraid that they might want to take his wife, kill him so he could, they could have his wife. And what did Isaac do? He did exactly what Abraham did on two occasions. He turns around and lies about that. The, the heathen king has to come and rebuke him because he's not told the truth about matters. And, and, it, and it's just a, just a continuation of the story that Abraham had, much like him. Well, then beginning in verse 12, you see that it says in verse 12 that he became prosperous. God blessed him, all right? And he became prosperous. Did y'all know there's a difference between being rich and wealthy? Did y'all notice that? In, in, in this context, listen to what this says. In, in verse 12 of chapter 26. Now Isaac sowed in that land and reaped the same year a hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him. And the man became rich and continued to grow richer until he became very wealthy. <laughs> I guess there's a difference between being rich and wealthy. Look that up and find that out and tell me what, that, what the difference is. But he said he kept getting richer until he became wealthy. So 
I might be rich, I'm just not wealthy. What about you? We, we may be rich, but not wealthy at that point. Well, God was blessing him. And, and because he was, a, he was a godly man, a faithful man, man of prayer, sought the Lord, the Lord's blessed him, and he becomes very wealthy. Well, I want to pick up there and talk about a characteristic in his life that I think we should mimic. It, it's found in verse number 15 and following. It's, no, 14. Here, here we go. For he had possessions of flocks and herds and a great household. Here's the key. So that the Philistines that he lived among, they what? They envied him. That's a key. He's living among these people. He's been blessed by God. He's become wealthy. And the Philistines who are living beside him, they envied him. So what happens next? It says, verse 15. Now all the wells which his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham his father, the Philistines stopped up by filling them with earth. Well, that'll bless you, won't it? Remember, this is in the wilderness land. And the way that they could have herds and the way they have flocks, they're, they're not by rivers. They would have to dig a well and hopefully they'd find water in that well. And if they could find water, they could... Uh, grow their flocks and are their herds, okay? So Abraham had gone out here and had dug wells because he had many, many herds and much uh, sheep and all those things. He, he dug those wells. Well, the Philistines, because they became envious of Isaac's son, they go and they fill up the well. They spoil the water. They keep him from having what he, his father had possessed. How would that make you feel? Would you smile about that? Would you say, thank you for blessing me? I don't think. We, we wouldn't feel really good about somebody doing that to us. So think about that. All right. Look at verse 16. Then Abimelech, who's the king of that area, comes to Isaac and says, Go away from us, for you are too powerful for us. So they basically say, just get out of here. We don't want to have anything to do with you. You're too strong. You're too powerful. We don't, we don't want you. You go find somewhere else to live. How would that bless you? How would you like it for your neighborhood to come up and say, we all voted and we don't want you around here anymore. We, we, we don't want you here. We want you to go somewhere else. Well, verse 17, And Isaac departed from there and camped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. Now look what happens beginning in verse 18 and following. Then Isaac dug again the wells of water which had been dug in the days of his father Abraham. For the Philistines, as we heard, had stopped them up after the death of Abraham, and he gave them the same names which his father had given them. Now listen to what happens. Verse 19. But when Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found there a well of flowing water, the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with the herdsmen of Isaac, saying, The water is ours. So he named the well Essek, which means contention, because they contended with him. Who dug the well? Who dug the well? Isaac. Isaac's men dug the well. So Isaac's men dug the well that had originally been his father Abraham's well that they had filled up because they were jealous. They dug those wells so that his herds would have water and the Philistines came along and said what? This is ours. This is ours. Well, that's the first one. Verse 21. They then dug another well. And they quarreled over it too, so he named it Sitna. Sitna means enmity or quarreling, all right? 
look what happened, verse 22. And he moved away from there and dug another well. And they did not quarrel over it, so he named it Rehoboth, for he said, At last the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. Then he went up from there to Beersheba. On three different occasions, he had to dig wells. On two of those occasions, his men dug the well. It was his father's well originally. It should have been his well. They should have never filled it up to start with. And on two of those occasions, as soon as he dug the well, they said, this is ours. This is ours. You can't have it. Finally, on the third well they dug, they said they didn't quarrel over it, and they found a place, and they had a place, called it Rehoboth, because God's given us a place. All right? Now, I gave you a little sheet right here. You see this little sheet? And everybody get one of these, because this is what we're talking about tonight. And that is how to respond to undue criticism and a personal attacks. Okay, think about that just a minute. That's exactly what, that's exactly what uh, Isaac just went through, wasn't it? I mean, wouldn't you consider that a personal attack when he's, first of all, he buried, uh, covered up your, your dad's, what he dug to start with, and, and then they... Uh, when you, that you dig it out, they say it's theirs, and you dig it out, and they say it's theirs, and they're arguing about that, quarreling over that the whole time. Wouldn't you say that's a, a personal attack? And, and when Abimelech says, hey, we've decided we don't want you around here. You're too powerful for us. We want you to get out of here. You, you consider that might be undue criticism? It could be. But Isaac serves as a wonderful example of how you live when you face those things. We can learn from him. We can learn from him. Look, look what it says under the heading of this. One of the most challenging spiritual encounters is when we experience criticism and personal attacks. Is that true? That's a challenge, isn't it? I mean, when somebody attacks you personally or criticizes you, do you want to go up there and give them a big hug? You want to say, you want, <laughs> you want, to, you want to bless them? Yeah, you want to you know, thank them for, for what they've said? No, you don't. That's not natural. Our natural response is defend ourselves by counterattacking. You need to circle that word. We want to defend ourselves by counterattacking. We're going to be after them. They're going to get me, I'm going to get them back. That's the old flesh, all right? This is especially true in men. Did you hear that? Men need to underline that. Why is that? Because men struggle with pride, which demands that we protect and defend ourselves. God made us protectors. Did y'all know that? That's why we're the stronger sex. He made us the protectors, the providers, the leaders. And so within us, there's this nature that I have to protect. And when somebody is going against that and doing things against that, my old pride wants to raise up and, and defend that and fight back. Most times we are not seeking, though, to save our life, but rather to save our face. What does that mean? What does that mean? Oh, most, most issues we go through is not that they're going to kill us. They're, they're just going to hurt our feelings or hurt our reputation, we think, or say something about us. And, and we're, we're wanting to protect our face as much as we are our life. That's where we get down to. So when we get criticized, we want to rise up against it. It is essential for us to understand some basic truths if we are going to have victory 
during these times. All right? Now, here's some truths. Number one, because you are a child of God, you have an enemy. Do you know that? What's his name? Old Satan. He, he, every day you wake up, he is your enemy. There's not, a, there's not a day he's not your enemy. He's out to destroy you, hinder you, hurt you. He's out to do everything. There's, there's never one good motive in, in all he does. So you need to remember that. And he's out to attack you. He's out to get you. He will use others to discourage and attack you. Do you all know that? Our battle, Paul said, is not against flesh and blood, but against the powers and principalities of darkness. Oh, Satan's the one behind it, but he uses other people. Who? Those who are available. Well, who are those? Lots of people. <laughs> there are lots of people who, want, who seem to be available, who are going to be critical or hurtful or say things in all realms of life. I mean, sometimes you might expect it from them, and sometimes you're just walking through Walmart and get it. Right? Sometimes you're just at the red light, and they're honking at you or shaking their fist at you. They're, I'm just at the red light. I don't know who you are. Right? But there they come. Oh, the old devil wants to see who he can use and who's available to attack you, to hinder you, to hurt you. All right? So, he will use others to discourage and attack you. He seeks to thwart the plan of God in your life. What does that mean? Well, whenever you, hopefully when you wake up in the morning or whenever you're thinking about your life, you're wanting to do what God plan for you, aren't you? Aren't you wanting to be in God's will and walk in God's way? And, and so that's where we need to be focused. What, what can I do right now to be a blessing to, to others? What can I do to, to advance the kingdom of God? What, what can I do in my work, my family, my life? What can I do? That's what we're thinking about until this person comes. And when that person comes and they criticize me or they fight back at me or they do things to hurt me or they do things then all of a sudden I totally shift from wanting to do what God has me to do to advance the kingdom of God to survival mode, to attack mode, to protect mode. And gets me totally off of what I'm supposed to be doing. Have you ever had a day like that? Hi, wait a minute now. You ever had a day where you set it up, man, it's going to be a great day, we're going to do it, and before you know it, somebody has undercut you, somebody has hindered you, hurt you, and now you're wounded all day long and you're consumed by that particular thing, by that particular word, that particular action. And what has Satan done? He's taken that person who's available to him to hinder you, to keep you from doing what God wants you to do that day. Wasted day. You didn't get to do what God wanted you to do because you're consumed on this, not by accident, by purpose. So you got to realize, oh, Satan's out there, and he's the one behind the scene. He's the one trying to keep you from doing what God wants you to do. Here's the second truth. You cannot stop these actions towards you. All right? There's no way to stop that action. I mean, you can go try to live in a bubble if you want to, but you won't live there long. You can't live in a bubble. You're going to live with people, right? People are going to be around you. You live with people, all right? So... There's no way to avoid having someone to attack you or to criticize you. You cannot stop these actions towards you. Listen now. 
but you are not responsible for another person's actions. You're not, you're not responsible for the other person. Whatever that other person does, they do. You're, you're not responsible for them. And hold on a second. What they do does not affect your fellowship with God. They, they can't, any outside person can't do one thing to you that personally hinders your fellowship with God. Not, not what they did. They, can't, they, they have no power to do that. I'm thankful for that, aren't you? I'm thankful that somebody else can't dictate to me what my life's going to be like. So they don't have any power to do that. But wait, listen to what it says. But you are responsible for your reaction to them. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. What they do to me cannot affect my fellowship with God. But if when they do what they do to me causes me to react in a sinful way, now my sin of reaction will hinder my walk with God. You understand that? Their action towards me, I might not like it, it might not be good, but their action towards me will never be able to hinder my fellowship with God. But if I allow what they do to me to cause me to react against them and I sin in reaction, now my fellowship with God has been hindered. And that happens all the time. It is really one of the most dangerous sins of a believer. You know why it's a dangerous sin for us as believers? Because it gives us an excuse. There's a built-in excuse. If I, if I do something in a sin of reaction, I say, well, the reason I did it is because what they did to me. I wouldn't have done it if they hadn't done that to me. But wait a minute. What they did to me can't hinder my fellowship. But, but if I react to that in a sinful way, that hinders my fellowship but I've got a built-in excuse of why I did it. That's dangerous. That happens all the time. And, and, and we can sit there and be pacified by it because we think we got a reason why we did what we did. Can't do that. Look what it says. Too often we are defeated by our own reactions to circumstances. Now, stop Let's talk about the story right here for just a second. Whenever Isaac comes along and they fill up his dad's wells that were providing water for his herds and his flocks, do you think he, did, did he have a reason to get upset? Did he have a reason to take action? I mean, if he were like his father, his father, who was very wealthy, had such an army of men. You remember that? that he, he feeded four kings. Y'all remember that story about Abraham? I mean, Isaac is a wealthy man. He has trained soldiers too. He has people too. Do you think he had the ability probably to do battle, to win, to defeat them if he wanted to? To at least scare them to death? Well, and obviously they, they, they told him they wanted to leave the country because he was what? Too sweet to them? Is that what that said? What, what, what was he saying? Leave this country because you are too powerful for us. So he's in a position of power that could have said, you're stopping doing what you're doing. But he, he didn't. He didn't react to that. Even when they come along and he digs a well and that they filled up and they say, this is ours. He could have said, no, it's not yours. And reacted that way, but he didn't. 
And when the second one happened, he could have reacted, to that, but he didn't. And he finally goes along until finally they say, you can have one. Well, thank you. Thank you. I've got... But he never sinned a sin of reaction. He was always gracious. He was always forgiving. Look at the third down here. God provides you with the strength to withstand the temptation of the enemy. Somebody look up 1 Corinthians 10, 13 for me. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. God provides you with the strength to withstand the temptation of the enemy and the yearning of your flesh. Claiming this power is your only hope for victory, His power gives you the ability to respond rather than react. Somebody read that. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Read it out loud. When you are tempted, that would be a temptation, wouldn't it? That's sin of action. He provides you a way out. He provides you a way for victory in that. But you've got to find the strength in Him, not in us. Because our, our natural person is a person of reaction. Man, you do to me, I'm going to do it to you. You get me, I'm going to get you back. I mean, we learned that as, as preschoolers, didn't we? One preschooler slaps one, the other one slaps him back. That's just where we are. But we've got to be more like Isaac. We've got to be more like Isaac. That we don't react. We don't react. Look what he says. How to be a responder rather than a reactor. One principle that Jesus seems to stress when teaching his men was for them to be responders instead of reactors. Listen to Jesus and his disciples. Peter's number one. Matthew 18, 21 through 22. Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times, he thought he was giving him a high number. Lord, do you think I should do it seven times? No, Peter, three's enough. That's what he was expecting. Is that what Jesus said? No, Jesus said, I do not say to you seven times, but up to 70 times seven. And, and all of you probably heard that. That's a point of exaggeration or it says there's no limit to it. What Jesus was saying is, forgive them as often as they sin against you. The same sin. In his words to Jesus, Peter was asking, when is it acceptable to react against my brother? Jesus said it is never acceptable to react to him. Rather, you must respond by forgiving him. Wow. That's what Jesus said. Sound like Isaac to me. What do you think? Sound like Isaac had been taking lessons from Jesus. That's exactly what happened. Look at Jesus and James and John, the sons of thunder. A village did not receive Jesus, and James and John became angry and said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? Sounds like some Baptist, doesn't it? <laughs> Lord, we don't have to put up with this. They hurt your feelings because they said that they didn't want to have you come in their town. They don't know who you are, Lord. I tell you what, Lord, let's just show them who you are. Let's burn them up. Call fire and brimstone. to Show them how you can do it, Lord. Sound like somebody you've ever heard? Oh, pardon me, does it sound like a voice you've ever heard? 
that's deep within you? Uh-huh. Wait. Jesus turned and rebuked them. When others do not receive us, we must not become angry, but remain loving. Question, are you a reactor? Are you a responder? What's the, two, what's the difference? Here's the definitions. A reaction is a sudden action that is brought about by an action of another person or situation. Reactions are not thought through or diagnosed. In other words, when you react to something, you have not thought about what is the end game. What is this going to do? What is this going to plow open? What wound is this going to create? We're just reacting. That happened to me. I'm doing it back to you. I haven't thought anything about it, all right? Usually the end result of a reaction is negative, and most people would like to reclaim the moment. You ever been there? Ooh, I wish I hadn't have said that. I wish I could redo that. I wish I could work that one again, because what happened is not what I wanted to happen. That's reaction. What about responding? A response is an action taken as a result of an action or activity of another person or situation. Responses can be quick or delayed, but here's the difference. But they're not as sudden as a reaction. A response is evaluated and considered before being done or expressed. The result of a well-planned, spirit-controlled response is usually pleasant and a blessing to everyone involved. Because we did what? We thought a minute. Because <laughs> what? We ask the Holy Spirit, How, what should I do here? How should I handle this? What's going to be the best thing? And it brings about a totally different response. Listen to Proverbs 15, 1 and 2. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise makes knowledge acceptable, but the mouth of fools spouts folly. Proverbs 16, 32. He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he who rules his spirit than he who captures a city. And I give you four other Proverbs you can look up that have similar truths about it. Basically saying, make sure that you are a responder instead of a reactor. Now, don't, don't finish. we're not finished yet. I want to show you something. Isaac is a wonderful example of just what we said. How I many... I'm kind of amazed at Isaac because this is prior to the Holy Spirit coming in and dwelling the lives of all believers and stuff. And what Isaac does here is really phenomenal in the fact that his personality was such that he could handle the criticism, he could handle the attacks, he could handle all these things that are going on, and he never does react in a sinful, wrong way. He just goes to the next well, goes to the next place, I guess he'd have just kept going and going until finally God gave him a spot. Well, God did give him a spot. But let me show you, let me show you what happens here. And this is really the key to it. Look what happens down in verse 26. Listen. Then Abimelech, that's the one who said we want you to leave the country, remember? Then Abimelech came from Gerar with his advisor, Phicol, the commander of his army. And Isaac said to them, Why have you come to me since you hate me? And have sent me away from you. And they said, listen, we see plainly that the Lord has been with you. So we said, let there now be an oath between us, even between you and us. And let us make a covenant with you. 
that you will not do you will do us no harm just as we have not touched you or have done to you nothing but good and have sent you away in peace you are now the blessed of the lord what did those what what did those people who had done wrong to them what those people who had reacted and brought actions that were sinful against them when they saw how he responded in that situation they finally come back and, and they say we, we want to make a we want to make a covenant with you because it's pretty plain that the Lord is with you it's pretty plain that the Lord's been blessing you we want to make a covenant with you because you are blessed of the Lord those people on the outside, because of how he responded, now they have been drawn to the God and to the person who's worshiping the true God and wanted to have some kind of oath or covenant or relationship with him because of how he responded instead of reacted. Well, what does that got to do with us? How many times have we lost opportunities to share the gospel, to invite somebody to church... <laughs> to love on somebody and bring them to the kingdom because we've reacted instead of responding. We, we've reacted instead of speaking a word of grace. We try to protect ourselves and our faces rather than humbly accepting whatever somebody might say that I might have the opportunity to give a word of grace to them. Something to think about. Because I'm here to tell you, it's the, it, to me, in my life, it is the most dangerous sin that I see. Because we like to have excuses for our sin. We do. We like to say, well, well the reason I'm doing that, the reason I act that way, I wouldn't act that way if I had done that to me. We like to have excuses for it. And, and our excuse is their sin of action. And there, and there are people going to sin against you because the old enemy is going to use them. You don't have to look for it. Uh, they, they're going to sin against you. They're going to snarl at you, say something, look at you in a funny way. That, it, it, all kinds of things can happen. But you cannot let that cause you to sin a sin of reaction. Don't let your sin hinder your fellowship because of what somebody did to you. Pray that God help you be more like Isaac. Amen? Great quality. Thank you, Lord, for truth. Speak to us and help us to follow that example that we've seen tonight and to be able to respond instead of react to personal attacks or criticism or whatever comes our way from another person. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have a good rest of the week.